Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Williams. This is the progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. Remember, you can also send me a tweet to E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is... At Egberto Williams. Let us engage. It is politics done right. One, two, three, four. Well, well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for spending this one hour with me. Or sometimes on Facebook Live, we go a little bit further. On Blog Talk Radio, we have a fixed time on air of one hour. So we'll see how it goes from there. Anyhow, thank you for giving me this time. We're going to have a great show. How are you doing, Lisa Pinel? Nice to be here on, on uh, Facebook Live. Do remember, folks, these are real times that are occurring now. These are real problematic times, I guess is what I should say, that are occurring right now. Today, we have a, we're going to talk about uh, Medicare privatization and how we fight it uh, and, and a, a lot of other things. But before that, I have a little rant that I want to put out here. And this is a very, very important rant. Uh, what we had uh, this week, as you know, uh, you have to renew your health insurance every year. Uh, sometimes I go on to the exchange. Sometimes I go off the exchange, depending on who gives the better price. Here's the facts. First of all, I don't get any of the subsidies. So it doesn't matter if I buy my private insurance on, on the Affordable Care Act exchanges, the Obamacare exchanges, or I buy it on the um, open market. Well, this year was quite interesting. The price for my health care on the private from, from the independent side went up by over 50%. I was paying personally from uh, the combined, the family, um, myself and my wife, were, we went from about $900 a month to about $1,500 a month. That's what the change was. So we decided to go ahead and go back to the exchange and see if the exchange had any better pricing. It turns out that they... According to the exchange, they had better pricing, but when we contacted the people who were on the exchange as far as what kind of coverage they would have, it turned out a whole lot of these people decided to get off the exchange. You know, we've been hearing that a whole lot. This is punitive. This is calculated. They're claiming that they're not making any profits on the exchange, and for that matter, they are leaving the exchanges. Those are pretty much accounting lies. In other words, all medic, medic, the, medical, the medical insurance field is one closed entity that's partitioned by, making, by, by segmenting people into sick, sicker, and not sick. And that is, that is what they do. And on the exchange, of course, because it's a private market, you tend to have sicker people there, but they're taken care of on the exchange. And what has happened thus far is that the pricing on the exchange keeps going up because the cost of insuring sicker people is more expensive. And of course, that is one of the reasons why we need a 
single-payer health care system. But above and beyond that, I want to bring it and centralize this to Texas and to all the states, for those guys who are here, for all the states who decided not to take the, Medicare, the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare. Here is the deal. In Texas, we have over 1 million people that are uninsured, and these 1 million people cannot get onto the exchanges, not because they can't afford the payments on the exchanges, but because they're too poor. Uh, under Obamacare, the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, they would have been covered in Texas. These million people in Texas would have been covered. Had they been covered, all our rates, whether you're on the exchange or not, whether you're getting your health care from, from your employer or not, all your rates would have been cheaper because what the state of Texas has done is as follows. And I want you to bear with me for one second here before we get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of, of Medicare on the show because this is very important for people to understand. This is what Texas did. Texas decided not to take the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, which would have covered a million additional Texans with the taxpayer dollars that we are already paying to the federal government, that monies would have come back to Texas to further insure a million people. Right now, the million people that are uninsured, they go to an emergency room or they go to a hospital or they go to an urgent care center for their service and they do not pay they couldn't afford it anyway, they do not pay for that service. In not paying for that service, it means that the hospitals, the insurance companies, the urgent care centers are going to recover that money somewhere else. And they recover that money from the people who can afford to pay you. You who have health insurance, you are already covering those people that are uninsured and those people that would have had insurance had the state of Texas accepted the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, which, by the way, those of us who pay taxes already, the ones who go to work and get up to work every day, are already paying. So our state, the great state of Texas, the, run by Republicans who always claim fiscal responsibility for the matter of spite, decided they won't accept the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare. And in the process, the same Trump voters, the same disgruntled working class Trump voters that think society is not working for them, that think they don't want Obamacare, the state of Texas, a Republican state, the state of Kansas, a Republican state, and all these red states around the country have hurt the same people that have voted for Trump urging Medicaid or Obamacare destruction they own their own Republican governments. Their own Republican governments have decided that they rather see their own people die. And, and, and there's, a re, there's some research done by, many, uh, by several universities and otherwise, specifically to Texas, we have lost per year and I don't quite remember the number, and I, I didn't prepare that for the show, but I'll, it is somewhere between 12, I mean, somewhere between 2,000 and 7,000 Texans die every year 
because we refused to accept the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, which would have given those poor people coverage. Now, people like me, the amount that they're asking us to pay for insurance is exorbitant. It is ridiculous. But we have, they have us by the you-know-what, and we have to pay that for the, the health insurance. But the people that are getting hurt the most are folks in the lower middle class and poor people who, by the way, all these increases in, 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 the, um, in the insurance barely affect them. $20, $30 more a month is what it's going to cost a lot of these people for this extended because the government picks up a big tab of that. We decided, we, the Texans, continue to elect a government that decides to screw our own people. And they know nothing about it. That is why I do this. That is why many other radio hosts do this, because most Texans are unaware that it is Republicans, the policies of Republicans that are actually hurting them, that are the angst that they have, the angst when they are out there. And I'm speaking now about the working class. And since right now the, the, the big issue is the white working class rebelling against the establishment and somehow the Republicans under the, under the auspices of Donald Trump is going to be the one to save them. It is their policies that have done the most hurt on them. And look, they refuse to see it because the Republicans have paid, played a very good game. And that game is as follows. We get you to distrust facts. We get you to distrust the portion of the media that is really giving you unadulterated facts. And if we can get you to do that, then we can tell you anything. You are forced to believe anything. And if you are forced to believe anything, what else do you do? You vote against your own interests. We repeat that ad nauseum, but what we must do as people who have friends that think that way is we can't give up. We can't just let it be. We have to keep at it and at it again. Yes, Lisa Pino, right now we're talking, or rather Krista Cahill, welcome aboard. Yes, they're talking about privatizing Medicaid and Medicare. That is sort of what our program is going to be about today and things that we can do. A uh, AM Joy had a great piece about it, and that is what one of the things that I'm going to talk about uh, that I'm going to talk about today. But I really wanted to get, now that they're talking about repealing uh, Obamacare, Obamacare doesn't need repealing. Obamacare needs, uh, needs revamping. And when I talk about revamping, I'm talking about doing the things that they want to do, but they've been prevented from doing throughout the Obama administration after the, the, the uh, Democrats lost the supermajority in the Senate. They were not able to make the fixes that are necessary. The real fix is to add a public option to Obamacare. After a public option is added to Obamacare, a public option that is at cost. What I mean by that is not an inflated public option, but we need a public option that actually competes against the private sector. Because what it will show is that healthcare does not belong in the private sector. You don't get a chance to shop around for healthcare. Healthcare is not something that you say, let me shop and see who gives me the best deal. Healthcare is a human right. Healthcare is, it is immoral for anyone to put healthcare into a private system where 
your health is dependent on your ability to pay. These are the same people who think there's an innate reason or an innate responsibility that we must have to carry a fetus to life. But where is their empathy? Where is their concern for the living? Where is their concern for those people that are in pain? Where is their concern for making life better for others? So let's not let's remember what we're talking about here. And and uh, some of the times, folks, I repeat myself because the way uh, Facebook Live works, the way uh, people listening to you on air works, is that people come and go, and you want to make sure folks understand what you're talking about. Again, now the basic subject that I was ranting about today is about Obamacare. Uh, the, the price increases of Obamacare caused by many states. By the way, the price increases we're seeing in Texas is not the price increases you see in the blue states or the states who have accepted the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare. And like I explained before, every single paying, every single person paying for their health insurance, they're paying the cost, they're paying a tax imposed on them by the state of Texas. The Republican state of Texas has raised your taxes. They didn't call it a tax. They called it a giveaway to the federal government without getting anything in return. We already as Texans, Texans, Kansans, and all these other red states that declined to accept the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, which for the first three years cost zero, which for the first and thereafter cost percent of the actual cost, otherwise then paid by the federal government with taxes we as taxpaying Americans have already paid, they, by denying that money to come back to Texas and ensure a million Texans who are now several dying Texas has imposed a tax on every single Texan in the form of higher costs for their health insurance in the sense of in the, for the cost of higher services through each urgent care center that you go to, each uh, operating room that you go to, each emergency room that you go to. So every single Republican state that have denied the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare implicitly taxes its, implicitly raised its tax on its citizens. So much for tax and spend, eh? We are tax and not get your money back and still spend. So folks, it is important that you understand the mechanics. For those who vote for Republicans who continue to support the medic, uh, to deny the Medicaid expansion to their citizens, remember it is an evil thing. Remember it is a tax on you. Remember it costs you more money. It costs you more money. It is important that we understand that. It is important that you get this message out. It is important that you tell your friends. It is important that when your friends come and say, oh, this Obamacare thing, the prices are going up, explain to them the prices are going up in Texas and Kansas and all the states that decided not to accept 
the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare. They're taxing you. They're taxing you. And here's the reason I want to give you now the caveat before I go into the program. And this is very important, folks. This is very important. The reason these states did not accept the Medicaid expansion to Obamacare, let me tell you how that is paid for. Rich folks, first of all, your Social Security taxes, you know, is, there's a cap on that. After you reach a certain amount of payment, you don't, get, you don't pay any more in Social Security. Therefore, rich people pay very little Social Security taxes on a percentage. That's number one. Number two, part of paying for Obamacare came from taxing capital gains. There used to be a time, by the way, you work hard every day. You work with your hands. You, you go as an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, a garbage man, whatever noble profession you do. Your money is taxable at up to 38, 39%. Up to that, your income, your income can be taxed at that much. But somebody, a fat cat who just throws his money into the stock market and sits down at his pool, doing nothing, sipping tea, while looking at the stock ticker go up, he pays a maximum, used to be a maximum of 15% on his income. So the working man, the guy who goes out there and work, pays a higher marginal tax, tax rate than that rich guy who's out there sitting at a pool just investing his cash. And then they give you as an excuse, why do we allow a system like this to exist? Oh, well, he's risking his is capital. He's risking his capital. That's why we don't tax it that much. Well, that guy who's building that house, he's risking his limb. That guy who's building the roads, he's risking his well-being, his lungs. When he breathes in the dust, he's risking something. He's risking his life. But that guy who's sitting at his pool, served by servants, what is he risking? Oh, he's risking his capital. Again, supported by Republican ideology and establishment Democrats. And why do they do that? Think about this now, folks. This is important. Where is the risk? We have to start having faith in ourselves. We have to start having self-worth, understanding that somebody who has capital does not make them better than somebody who does not. Ask them, first of all, how they got their capital. I, I took some trips up to, to Buchanan, Texas, Lake, on Lake Buchanan. And I, in, in taking that river boat for dinner, we're driving up the, the Colorado River on the Buchanan. And we sit down. And we sit down. And I'm asking the, the boat captain, who owns all that land that is all carted off as we go up the Colorado? And he gives me the name of the family that owns this land. I said, how did they get that? How were they able to get all of that? They took it. So let's not make believe that capital is something that these people have earned. In America, most capital is stuff that was stolen. And not by you, not by most of you working class, Amer white America, working class, black America, working class, Latino America, uh, Asian, and everybody else. We are in the same boat. There's a very distinct segmented class, a very small class in this country that is ripping us off and then put us all against each other so that we can fight among each other as we let them continue with their pilfer. Folks, let's get the picture. We don't need to be talking about this white working class, black working class, Latino working class, and all this stuff. We are in the same boat, but we have allowed them this election cycle more so than most to think, to think that we are so stupid 
which some of us evidently allowed the stupid part of our brain to take over. But we still can make a difference. We still can see the light. Not because we made a mistake. The states did. Does it mean we must cower? After all, it is a fact that Senor Trump, Donald Trump, does not have a mandate. Donald Trump does not have a mandate. Most Americans chose something else. Most Americans chose the democratic way. Most Americans chose otherwise. And therefore, they must not be allowed to make any changes to the social safety net. They must not be allowed to make any changes, period. So therefore, folks, 2000, 2017 is an important year of activism. We've already started it, and you will be hearing this from me shortly about our revolution. We're building the first state that our revolution is tackling is the state of Texas. And starting pretty soon this month, we will have activities for you guys to do. We'll have signups for you guys to do so that we can really start building that movement that's going to take over again. We are not, this is no kidding here. Mr. Trump does not have a mandate, period. Most Americans chose something else, and therefore, they must not be allowed to make the changes that they're attempting to make. End of story. The question is, how do we get there? And there are much and very legal ways that we will do it, and we will get there. These changes must not occur. I have some questions here, and then I'll come, to, after I start, I'll come to you guys in a minute uh, on air. Let's see, Shaniqua says, um, let's see, Shaniqua, I think you had a question. Let me make sure that I, oops, it kind of scrolled off. Uh, let's see, let's see. I want to be sure. I try to explain this to some of my friends, and they tell me those people earned it. The school system does not teach how to, our government works. No. Re- remember, folks, the vast majority of rich people did not own did not make their wealth. And also, wealth is a game, right? The person who sets the parameters for the game determine how and who gets wealth. A stockbroker who does minimal work. If you put a stockbroker and a farmer on an island, the farmer survives and the stockbroker dies. The farmer knows how to turn that land into food. The this, this farmer knows how to turn that land and get water out of the ground. That stockbroker most of the times just knows how to move paper. Who is more important then? The person who can stay alive has more value. One could, one, could, one could create a tenant and say the person who has the ability to stay alive has more value. I mean, if you look at Darwin's selection of species, that's what it says, right? So let's be clear here. The vast majority of rich people are rich not because they earned it, not because they deserve it, but because of a game. Don't forget it. Let me tell you a personal story. I have a software company. I decided to let my software company go for activism. I have a daughter who is going into med- In fact, she just got accepted to medical school. And, she, uh, and her promise, the, the medical school that she's choosing will allow her to work with the indigent 
and work in the community. This is a family who believes in service. One of the reasons, like I said, I got her through college and decided to go full-fledged activism. Why? I've always been an activist from college. But somebody has to do it. I could make a hell of a lot of money outsourcing my software to India and sitting at the pool. But I decided otherwise. It is important for us to know something. If somebody who understands the system doesn't do it, who is going to do it? And if you have children, if you have grandchildren, I don't have grandchildren yet, thank God, but if you have children, the one thing that you know is that you want a better life for them going forward. I had a much better life than my parents because they looked out for me and they made it that way. It is called paying it forward. It is called paying it forward. Many of us, we, get in, we, we, we move up in life, and the first thing we think about is how do we keep all these gains, some of it not necessarily well-gained gains, how do we keep this all to ourselves? And that's why society is in the state that it is in right now. Everybody's trying to get ahead. Everybody's trying to be that next Donald Trump who just cares about nobody and get a whole lot of money. That's not the game, brothers and sisters, man. Happiness ain't money. I've had a lot of it and I've scrapped it before. I've gotten a lot of money before. I've lost it all and got it back and lost it all in business. Had four different companies. And you know what? Right now, for somebody who has capital, who has establishment, who can fly to India like I could fly to India or, or Taiwan or whatever and make a deal, folks, that is easy living. But is it moral living? Is it really? Think about that. When you wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, not having the cash flow I had before, I feel great. Because I know I'm not doing something just for me. I'm doing something for my kid. I'm doing something for the other kids. When I am talking on the radio at KPFT and otherwise, the good feeling you get when somebody calls you and tells you, wow, I didn't know that. And you know what? Now I'm going to. That gives me the urge to go fight. Feels a lot better than a $1,000 check. It feels a lot better. When I know that my friends, I don't care who they are, white, black, blue, Japanese, anything, it feels so much better. People should start trying that. But anyhow, I'm going to get to the program so I can also get to my, my buddy here on the phone. But any, what, what are we going to talk about today? Anyway, folks, uh, it turns out, it turns out, let me get to my pad here. Uh, it goes this way. While most of us, mo most of the media are taking their eyes off of the ball, if you journalists and these are, are spending the necessary time on the Medicare privatization attack. Paul Ryan is quietly working behind the scenes to decimate the social safety net. Donald Trump is filling his administration and privateers and vicious attackers of the poor with vicious attackers of the poor and the middle class. This morning, AM Joy, Joyanne Reed reminded Democrats on her AM Joy program that there is a way out. What is that way out? The map was laid out in 20, 2004. Remember that. The map was laid out in 2004. So, folks, what are your thoughts? Let's talk. I will also be following our hashtag politics done right, and I'll also be on Egberto Willis, Twitter, Egberto Willis. So, please remember that, folks. Come on to Egberto Willis on Twitter and get to the site, Politics Done Right with Egberto Willis on Facebook, and give me a like. Anyhow, 
you guys know about this time what I like to do. About this time, this is what we are going to do. It's time for the weekly blog post. Okay, the title of the blog post that my pad decided to cooperate with me is going to be, or not is going to be, it is, but my pad, look at this. The pad is, I have the, the nice pad ready to read my blog of the week. And what is it telling me? Oh, Egberto, come on in. Okay, it's called Joy and Reed Reminds Democrats How to Fight for Medicare Using 2006 Parallels. Okay, Joy and Reed is not wasting time on the smoke and mirrors thrown by Trump and his team to take Americans' eyes off of the ball. She stated, or she started AM Joy with a stark piece on what Democrats must do to ensure Medicare is not decimated by Republicans as she reminded them 2000, about 2006. Joy Ann Reed used GOP Medicare privatization, start parallels to 2004 uh, Republican attempt to privatize Social Security and the 2006 election outcomes for Democrats. It is refreshing to see an in-depth news program discussing the real issues under Trump. Amazingly, it is occurring on MSNBC and not PBS, where it seems they are caught up as well into Trump message manipulation. Anyhow, folks, Reed began the segment with George W. Bush bragging about earning political capital after the 2004 election and said he intended to spend it. He ran around the country trying to sell Social Security reform, in other words, privatization. President George W. Bush told the country how he wanted to cash in on all that capital by privatizing Social Security, Reed said. By mid-January 2005, President Bush was off on a cross-country tour peddling his plan to make Social Security, quote, a better deal for younger Americans. He brought his pitch to Nebraska, to Florida. He even crafted his State of the Union speech around it, privatizing the New Deal's guarantee of a dignified retirement was his number one priority. And despite, and despite being outnumbered in the House and the Senate, this is how Democrats, the party of FDR and the New Deal responded. And after that, Joy and Reed then played Nancy Pelosi's fighting words promising to blanket the country and the media about Social Security and the destruction Republican policies would have on it. Now, Republican Speaker of the House Rand's first policy agenda. What was it, folks? His first policy agenda. His first policy agenda was... Medicare privatization. And even though Donald Trump told his voters Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security cuts were off the table, he is filling his cabinet with privateers. Remember that. Don't tell me something. Show me something. Don't tell me what you're going to do. I will see what you're doing. I will see what you have done. Okay, you know you've lost the battle when Ann Coulter, you've lost the battle when Ann Coulter against your right-wing policy. This is what Ann Coulter tweeted. Medicare is not what the election was fought over. If Ryan wants to change Medicare, then run for president on that. See how far it gets you. Even she realizes that it's done, it's crazy. If a crazy person sees crazy, isn't that crazy squared? 
crazy to the nth degree. Anyway, Reid reminded Democrats that there is a path after all. Most Americans voted for Democratic policies. She played a clip of Senator Elizabeth Warren urging the fight. Most importantly, she reminded Democrats that they won big in 2006 after fighting for Americans by forcing Republican retreat from policies that materially hurt them. Folks, this is a call-in show. You can give me a call at 646-929-2495. Again, that number is 646-929-2495. Let me bring my good friend, El Senor John from San Antonio. How are you doing, my friend, today, John? I'm doing good. How about you, Alberto? Talk to me, my friend. Talk to me. Yeah, um, no, it's a good point you're making. Uh, obviously, those are, you know, the the pro- Medicare privatization, and also, you know, we also need to be focusing on uh, the repeal of the ACA, which is just as important, because one of the first things that they're going to do, you're talking about Medicare privatization, I mean, uh, expanded expansion of Medicaid. Uh, right. That's one of the first things that, that they're going to cut out. I mean, you know, because one of the things that what they're talking about is uh, they're not actually talking about uh, fil- uh, you know, nuking the filibuster. You know, they right. said that they're going to do this through reconciliation. So right. I mean, that's going to take take quite a while to do. Now, one of the things about reconciliation and one of the things about the Senate rules that a lot of people don't talk about is that you know the Senate make up their own rules. Period. Right. And so. Uh, the uh, the parliamentarian. And it, only, and it only needs a majority to vote when you're changing the rules. It only needs a majority vote. Right, that's right. And in the parliamentarian, all he is 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 an advisory. You know, uh, he he has really no say at all. Right. I mean, all he can, right. all he can do is make an advisory and say, you know, you can do this or you can't. But basically, the party that's in power can ignore the parliamentarian, and so. Right. Uh, and so, you know, this this can happen. And I do have to disagree a little bit about your your thing about the mandate. I mean, I don't want I don't want obviously all these things to happen. But when when a, a, a you know a party controls the presidency, controls the House, and controls the Senate, they can do what they want as long as they meet the filibuster. And so. Let's get. I don't want this to. I don't want what you just said to go to, to the audience that's listening. I think what you said is important, and I need to. I, I need to take take that up. Uh, it is important when back in 2008, when Obama won by what everyone agrees with was a landslide electorally and fairly large lead, over five million votes in the popular vote. The Tea Party claimed that the policies that were being passed by the president was thrown down their throats. We know that's not true because we really had the majority of Americans, the majority of the Electoral College and the popular vote for this man. And they made it difficult for these policies to get through. They made it difficult. What I am trying to get to the American population is that, yes, it is true that through the shenanigans of gerrymandering, through the shenanigans of voter suppression, 
through the and all of, it's not one thing. There are many reasons why Republicans are really in power. Many different things. Okay, uh, and it is important then for them to for every American to understand to not sit back and say, well, you know, a democracy says if you win, you get to govern. I would have accepted that if Donald Trump won the majority of the votes. The mere fact that because of an aberration or constitution, in as much as Clinton won the vast majority of the votes, in as much as she's over $2 million, $2 million votes over Trump, in as much as the, the, the next person, the left winger in, that ran, which has policies much more left wing than, than, uh, than Hillary, won as well. And when adding those votes up together, we won. And as such, without counting about the aberration of the Constitution, we cannot, we must not allow changes to be made without showing that we've won. So you're right when you say that, yes, they've, they have all these, these Republican places, but how was it gained? And if we simply not fight, we are rewarding the ill fate that was used to gain that majority. Go ahead now, John. I needed to say that. No, Go I, ahead. no, no I don't. No, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm not saying don't fight. I'm saying fight as much as you can, and we we cannot, uh, you know, let this happen. But I mean, the the fact is is is, is that you're you're kind of in denial of what actually happened. Like you said, oh, they, no. the the house the house won because of gerrymandering. They didn't win because of gerrymandering. The house there were three million. And uh, 200,025 more Republican votes in the House than in the, in, for, Democrat, for Republicans right, than for this, Democrats. This is what I said, John, my friend, and it, again, it is important. This is very important. Again, I know what the absolute numbers said or says. I know what those numbers say. I also know that, that, that first of all, the absolute number for the presidency is not what you're saying. The absolute number for the presidency is that uh, just as well as the total amount of votes added up in districts for Republicans were greater than for Democrats in the aggregate. I'm talking the, the whole 500 or the, the, all the districts. That is true. But likewise, the vast majority of the vote for presidency, the head of the executive, went to the person who is not winning. Secondly, we have to take into account it's not one thing. When, when I say gerrymandering, okay, that is just one aspect, one thing. Gerrymandering don't count in, a total, in the totality of votes, of course, because totals are totals irrespective of gerrymandering. But gerrymandering does count with respect to representatives and the proportionality of the Congress. The Congress is disproportionately Republican, which is not reflected by the proportionality to the vote, even that three million uh, something votes that you're talking about. That's number one. Number two is that when I said it wasn't simply based on gerrymandering, I mean, on gerrymandering, I said it was based on voter suppression. It was based on shenanigans, things like people being removed from the list. You add all these things up, they do make a difference. And, you know, and so, I mean, there's a lot of things. There's messaging problems that we didn't do. There's Hillary not going to Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All of those are factors I agree with you. But by the same token, I'm not being delusional 
in Staten. I mean, remember, I mean, uh, a few votes in, in, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, she's president. So come on. So I, I, I understand all of that. I really do. It's not being delusional. What I'm doing is telling folks if the, the Tea Party was successful at what they did back in 2010, then Democrats must be successful in doing what must be done in 2017. Go ahead. I'm, I just want. I just want. No, to keep no, that I up. I agree with you. So, like on substance, I totally agree with you. I mean, you okay. know, I want to. I mean, this is. Uh, you know, for, as far as Medicare and, and, and the ACA, you know, we need to fight back against this, I mean, with all of our might. So, I mean, we're in total agreement with that. Uh, so I guess what, what I'm arguing about a little bit are semantics. But, I mean, right. I, I do think it's important, you know, and, and a lot of people say, well, you know, why do you spend so much time thinking about strategy and, and thinking about polling and all of this stuff? and mm-hmm. In, in in other parts of the of the of the you know cycle you you talk about issues more and mm-hmm. the the answer is because if you don't win we're in the situation we are now to where yes. we can be totally yeah. screwed over you know right. and and so now we're in that position so yes we can fight and we should mm-hmm. you know we should use the filibuster when we can we should use uh you know the the public uh you know, social media and all of all the, you know, like Pelosi was talking about in 2005 and go around the country and talk about this and talk about also how, you know, if if these things happen, like, you know, one of the two things they're talking about on the ACA uh, that are going to be cut are the actual uh, the, the, the payments to people, right. you know, all the subsidies. And so mm-hmm. that's going to make insurance completely unaffordable, and it's going to cause com- chaos in the insurance market. I mean, total chaos. And I'm not, you know, I mean, I think both of you and I agree that, you know, we're not fans of the insurance companies. Right. But I mean, until we get single payer, and that single payer is not going to come while Trump's in office. So I mean, it's, it's at least four years away. And so until that time, you know, I still want to see people covered with the ACA. I still want to see Medicare expansion in place. I still want to see, you know, Medicare, uh, you know, uh, not privatized and, and, you know, working, you know, uh, as well as it can. So, uh, so. John, John, so you're right. And what I want to say going forward now is. We've been talking about all these problems, and, and you are well-schooled, you are, in, in all these issues. Our next thing is, where are we going from here? What are the steps that we're going to take from here? I have some, but I want to hear some of your, your wording on that. But I, I, I have something to announce to folks as well. So go ahead, my friend. Okay, well, I mean, as, as far as, you know, we just have to get organized. We just have to tell people you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't understand why, uh, you know, there's such a groundswell to have the the ACA cut. I mean, I can understand it. It's like you said earlier, it's about propaganda. It's about brainwashing. But, I mean, you know, when when you actually look at how many people are going to be affected, which are going to be about 20 million people, and and you know what they're saying now as far as the ACA is that they're going to they're going to uh you know repeal it pretty quickly is it is their idea you know and then after that 
set it like two or three years to where they can actually come up with a replacement plan. But I mean, that's going to cause real chaos in the in the insurance market. And also, if they take away uh, Medicaid expansion, they take away uh, they take away uh, the 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 subsidies. I mean, it's. I don't even see how the insurance companies can survive because, I mean, they still have to take people with pre-existing conditions, yet, I mean, but people can't afford insurance. I mean, people can't afford insurance without the subsidies. I mean, that's one thing about the ACA that people don't really talk about, and I think this is because people who have the most political clout actually have the most money. And so they, right. they're the ones that put, put their ideas out into the mainstream, and, and they're the ones that, subs, that they're, they're, the insurance is going up. And, but, I mean, the, the people who benefit the most are the poorest people, you know, right. if, they, if their states have Medicare expansion, and also uh, the people who get the most subsidies, which are the poorest people. And so you're really going to be taking that, that – I mean, it's really going to be screwing the poor right off the bat – Yeah, it's screwing screwing the Trump voter. And what we have to do, and I agree with you, what we have to do is get that out. First, let me, Christy, the second time she asked this, and I'm sorry, I forgot to answer it. Class action lawsuit against the government for breach of fiduciary responsibility. Uh, There's something of standing and something about, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know for sure, but I don't know how you go ahead and uh, sue the government. Uh, there, There are some laws against how, whether the government can be sued or not. I don't know the real answer to that. I'll have to find that out and get back to, to you, Kathy. Um, but I kind of have a feeling there's something against suing the government, but I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what Daniel Ledeau had to say. Prior to the election day, my friend Egberto Willis assured us all with extreme confidence that HRC had the election won, no doubt about it. So why uh, should any one of us have any confidence? You know something? I took, you know, you're right, Mr. Ledeau. I was earlier on, and, and John can attest to this, I really thought Trump had a chance, and Don, for John for a long time was giving me a hard time for not looking at the numbers. <laughs> you remember that, John? Uh, yeah. He was, yeah. He was giving me a hard time for not looking at the numbers. Well, you know what? Like anybody else, I kept on looking and signed the consistency of the numbers, and I believed them, and I kept on with it. Now, the numbers in the aggregate were not wrong. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear. In the aggregate, the numbers were actually within the margin of error. Come on. Uh, she's winning by over two point something votes, popular votes. And that, that's what the, the aggregate numbers said. What I think was two percent, two, three percent or something like that. That is well within the margin of error of the, the of the, um, the polls. That said, the problem, however, is the distribution of where these votes occurred. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, these were very small vote totals that were simply flipped by things called enthusiasm, something that could have flipped in one day. So I don't think, I think the beating up of the polls that people are making right now is too, uh, we're beating up on the pollsters, but I think we're a bit, and I, I go back and forth with this, but I think we may be too hard on the pollsters. We had a lot of externalities right near the, where, when people were going to vote that we have to take into account. Let's take a look at Florida and how the early vote came in versus the late vote and the surges. And also, we have to take into account some of the social media underhandedness that was occurring in these states. I mean, I actually got an email from the person who wrote the app for, um, for Trump trying to sell this app now. 
that was working with a lot of people in these states and rural areas that were giving them commands on how to vote right now. So, so you know, there's a lot of externalities here that pollsters cannot pick up quickly, especially when these externalities come close to the election. So in as much as I don't have a problem saying I was wrong, let me just tell everybody here, I was wrong in, 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 in believing the polls and telling folks that Hillary would win. I was wrong. I have no problem admitting that I was wrong. Now, I have to, we, we have to mitigate having been wrong. Most of us having been wrong must be mitigated, and that is what we're going to do. We're going to stand up there and fight. You know, being human is being able to say you're wrong, but you're going to move on from being wrong. That is what it's all about. It's not about being like Trump, who is never wrong, who always, you know, we have to be feared eyed, straight eyed, and that's fine. That is what makes us human. But anyhow, um, let's see, Lisa, I better, oh, thank you for the, thank you for the kudos, my friend. Uh, thank you for the kudos. Okay. Uh, and yes, Daniel, you can play in a loop that Egberto says, I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, you want me to give you a, a better picture for it? I was wrong. <laughs> okay. Dan, come back in, John. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that, that everybody was wrong. Even Trump's internal polling was wrong. Yes. Trump didn't expect to win. You know, he he absolutely did not. All you know, everybody knows that his people did not expect to win on on election night. Uh, you know, when you talk about the the polling within the margin of error, that that's right, except for the state of Wisconsin. That that was not within the polling. That was not. It was it was like uh, seven points off. And the fact is, you know, since I studied these things pretty closely. You know, mm-hmm. the the polling has never been off like this ever. Right. You know, in, in you know, as far as states, it it's just never happened. And so, you know, what did happen though? There were there were a few things that uh, there was always a, a high number of undecided voters because you right. know both of them had such set, such uh, unfavorable numbers. Okay, and so you know, the last two weeks, people just moved to Trump. And yeah. uh, I mean, and, and also in the likely voter screen, which you know is a pretty high margin, you know, uh, to actually get in. Like a lot of people, if you didn't vote in the last election, uh, you won't make it into the likely voter screen. So those likely voter screens were too tight, and Trump right. did bring some people out. And I mean, I'm not going to give him that much credit because you Look, know uh, the Republicans. Hate works, okay? Hate works. I mean, I'm sorry to say it. Uh, he, he got a whole lot of people who were riled up that came out and voted. And to tell you the truth, it's, it's like they can't accept that uh, to some extent they've won the Electoral College because they're still acting out. But, you know, I think it's, look, you're right. The, the, the polls, I, I, I don't even, look, there, there's a school of thought out there that wants to say that the polls, one wonders if the polls were actually right and there's something else, and maybe that's the reason why folks are very skittish about uh, about recounting. I can't give that any credence like I've written before. I don't even want to go there because uh, you go there, there's a whole huge can of worms that we're going to open up there. Um, this election should not have been close at all. Uh, like you said, I think two weeks ago, John, Hillary Clinton lost this election. Hillary Clinton was a very poor campaigner. This should have been an easy election for Hillary Clinton to win. 
but she didn't do what was necessary to assuage some of what occurred in the Midwest. After all, she wasn't out there at all. So uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. She lost it. I remember how upset you was you were when you came here and said, oh, he didn't win. She lost it. So I, I have to agree with you there, uh, John. I do have to agree with you there. Yeah, but I mean, you know, again, I mean, I'm glad you're doing shows on on the fight. The fight is, you know, it's going to start and, you know, what what I'm what I'm thinking about is, you know, Trump is Zelig, you know, uh because, you know, I mean, believe me, I have incredibly negative opinion of him and the way he handled the, the idea with Ch- Taiwan is just so right. ridiculous. He's like, you know, an eight-year-old in charge of our country. That's but, what we have. Uh, there's an article that actually right. said that, you know, there's an article, I don't remember, I think it's the Washington Post that actually said, we have a child in the White House now. Right. And so, but but at the same time, you know, he, the, when I say he's like a, a zealot, you know, whenever he's around certain people, he wants to be loved. He's so insecure that he wants yes. to be loved. So, you know, when, when we give him this massive pushback against privatization, against the ACA being abolished, 20 million people le- losing their health care, you know, I'm hoping that he's going to react to it because he did say those words that you you said earlier in the day about you know not you know not privatizing uh, Social Security, not privatizing Medicare, not cutting them, and also I mean right at the beginning, right uh, like you know, what June of 2015, he was saying how you know single payer people in Scotland love single payer. You know it's a very popular program all through Europe. Right. You know, I mean, of course, he abandoned all of that stuff, and, you know, he's a total flim-flam man, but, I mean, you know, you, you don't know what to, to see, and if we can convince him that, that this is going to be – this is going to ruin your presidency, you know, I think that we need to – I mean, you know, we need to, to, to degrade him and not support him. Uh, in almost every areas, but if there's a conflict between all the privatizers, you know, like Ryan and Pence and all that crowd, and if we can tell you, you can tell them, look, popular opinion is against this, and this is driving your numbers down. You need to abandon this, and if we can do that, you know, me, we should do it. I want to throw a wrench in there, and then I'm going to have to go to talk to people about our revolution. But I want to uh, go. I want to put a wrench in here. There's no love lost between Donald Trump and Republicans in the, the Republican establishment. And one of the reasons I think that Donald Trump is more likely to abide by the Republican orthodoxy is as follows. Republic, right now, Donald Trump has a whole lot of skeletons in his closet. Right now, he has a whole lot of, you know, people talking about these, um, and Republicans, not a lot, but Democrats talking about conflicts of interest and all that sort of thing. That is the that is the axe that Republican established that the Republican establishment will hold over Donald Trump. In other words, it's not the Democrats screaming uh, screaming uh, conflict of interest and going against the, the the clause in the Constitution that's going to be the problem. It's the Republicans who hold that power. And the reason the Republicans hold that power is they will vote 
they will hold impeachment over their own guy. I mean, after all, they've impeached what they they've held the impeachment over one of their guys already. Remember Nixon? And they would do so with Donald Trump, and they will do so with pleasure with Donald Trump, stating that he's not one of them. So I don't went for all those people who hope that Donald Trump is somehow going to leave Republican orthodoxy and be the lone ranger who really becomes that populist. Look at his cabinet. Look at his vice president. And remember, they hold that thing over Senor Trump. Trump is a very flawed president from an ethical standpoint, from a legal standpoint. And don't think that these guys don't have a lot on, over Trump. And because they have a lot over Trump, people, you know, I hear the media, the media is so immature. The media constantly talk about, oh, don't cross Trump. Paul Ryan better not think that he's going to be pushing Trump around. Oh, Paul Ryan and those guys are going to play ball now. But let the, the Republican plutocracy get to the point where they suddenly believe that Trump is going to go AWOL or Trump is going to go populist on them. Think about all these legal matters that they could bring against Trump. And they have the power of impeachment. So, I, so give me a closing statement real quick, and then I'll close with the, um, the, our revolution. Go ahead, John. All right, good show. Enjoyed it. I think you know it's very important to talk about you know the ACA and Medicare, uh, and uh, also you know talk about the the filibuster and uh, to see how they're going to work that out in reconciliation. Uh, I, I also think it's important to keep talking about the emoluments clause, and also because I think that is the the biggest thing that the Democrats have going. And so that's that's important also, or, you know, instead of calling it emoluments, I guess you can call it conflict of interest. That's what Dean Baker was right. saying. The people should you refer to both of them, uh, because so so that's very important. So we just need to keep fighting Trump. I mean, this is another horrible week for the people he picked. Uh, more more billionaires, uh, more privatizers. Very sad, okay. but uh, keep fighting him. Thank you very much, brother John. Now let me tell you something, folks. The fight has begun. We've had our first meeting of conveners for our revolution slash Texas. It is starting that new organization that uh, that was uh, it wasn't started. It was inspired through Bernie Sanders uh, has begun in Texas. And we are we are going to be having meetings throughout nine regions in Texas. Uh, here in Houston, we'll be convening one shortly. I'll be informing you about that. Uh, San Antonio John will have its uh, its region as well, and we will be asking people to come to these meetings. We're going to be voting on a regional representative to Texas, one of 12 that will represent Texas. And of course, this is going to be going to be this will be built state by. It's a strong organization. It's a strong grassroots organization. Start thinking about the policies that you want us to be fighting about that we want us and when i say us i don't mean me i don't mean just you i mean us to be fighting about we'll have more emails we'll have more information go ahead and do like politics done right with egberto willis because i'll put a whole lot of that stuff on the facebook page as well but we are starting this month we are having our regional meeting in january and we will be moving forward with getting, elect getting politicians that we want to run against 
every single, both Democrats and Republicans, who refuse to follow middle class and poor centric values. We will be coming. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. Thank you for spending this time with me. We're off of Block Talk Radio on Air right now. See you next week. All right, Facebook, thank you for spending this time with me. Like I was speaking about the, the, the our revolution, we're going to be starting that up this month. We'll have our first meeting, and we'll be in touch. When, when you get the emails from us, when you get when we have the messages here, please go ahead and participate. But not only you participate, but you need to bring other people in. We need to have geometric progression for the aggression of the right on middle class and poor America. You can make a difference. We all must make a difference. We don't sit down and simply wonder what the man is going to do to us. We make things happen, and we can make things happen. There are more of us who think the right way. There are more of us who think about others. There are more of us who care about people than there are who don't. Remember that. There are a hell of a lot more good people. Even some who voted for Trump were good people, just misled. It is our job to do better. Name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. I'm asking you to like the page. I'm asking you to share these videos. I'm asking you to be a part of the solution. Let's not just put our heads in the sand. Let's get busy. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And I'll see you on Wednesday, KPFT 90.1 in Houston or kpft.org slash listen, any part of the world where we'll be talking Thursdays at 3 o'clock KPFT. Have a wonderful day, folks. Bye-bye.